0: From activism to entertainment, health to nightlife, profiles and courage to travel, and so much more. This is the Jeff Hawker Show, LGBTQ news and lifestyle conversation for the Coachella Valley region. Here's Jeff Hawker. Hello,
1: everyone. We've got an engaging show today. Two really great guests. Uh, We have coming to the microphone, Charles Barrett. He has been with the, the company that he started, the Barrett Company, celebrating nearly 30 years as a public relations and marketing communications agency. How you doing today, Charlie?
2: Very well, Jeff. Thanks for inviting me on the show.
1: Boy, and you know, what I love is having people on and getting their bios and reading about their extensive experience, and, and we, we both know being in public relations and marketing is not an easy road to go. It's no, a lot of work.
2: For sure. Yeah, yeah.
1: What, what made you get into it originally, and what made you stick with it?
2: Well, you know, I started out as a reporter um, in Connecticut, oh God, decades ago. And um, after spending so many years in the newsroom, um, I guess four or five years, I decided to uh, quit my job at the Associated Press in New Haven, Connecticut, and moved to New York. I had $200 in my pocket, no job. And uh, I knew I wanted to work in the entertainment industry. I knew that, and that drove me to New York uh, at the time, uh, late 1960s, I guess it was, yeah. Um, And I was lucky enough to get a freelance job with Billboard magazine, but more importantly, just out of pure luck, out of someone i met, a stranger there who was a publisher of a magazine, referred me to 20th Century Fox Films who were just putting out Valley of the Dolls, the movie, with uh, all those famous movie stars. And I was hired as a sort of trainee publicist and once I got the taste of working in a, for a film studio, I knew my days in journalism were over. Well, and um, Well, let's
1: talk about that in a minute because Valley of the Dolls is one of the most iconic movies of all time. Yes, it because is. Because at the time, it had some of the biggest stars. They had Patty Duke, Barbara Parkins, Susan Hayward, and of course, unfortunately, Sharon Tate, who was later murdered. Yes. Um, but. Yeah. That movie was so stylistically amazing. I mean, for the time, no movie had been done like that before.
2: No, definitely not. And I'll tell you a funny little story if you want to hear a little anecdote. Yeah. Uh, Sharon Tate had come into New York for a party that we were having for the, for the film, a media, a media party at the Plaza Hotel. Uh, and I had just, I think I'd been there maybe three or four days, and it was only a temporary job. But anyway, um, I got this call from my boss and said, go down to Saks Fifth Avenue and pick up a package from Miss Such-and-Such. She has something there for you, and bring it right to the hotel and um, and get back here as quickly as you can. So uh, luckily in those days, Fox had a company limo. And I pop into the limo and I go down to Sax Fifth Avenue and I pick up this package from this lady. In, I guess it was customer service. And um, I came back to the Plaza Hotel and delivered it. And uh, on the. I was curious, of course, who was addressed to it. And it was, in fact, uh, Sharon Tate. Um, so I left the envelope there and um, went back uh, into the limousine, went back to the office. And. Um, my boss, well, did, did it all work out? And he said, I said, yeah, fine. It all worked out. I left the package at the, at the desk at the plaza. And he said, well, do you know what was in it? And I said, no, I had no idea. He said, pantyhose. <laughs> <laughs> she had a torn pantyhose, and she had no pantyhose to wear for the party or something, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you So the, that was one of my first tasks at Fox was bringing Sharon Tate uh, some new pantyhose from Saks with them. Yeah,
1: but what a great story to tell. Now, <laughs> now, the subject matter of the film, you know, talked a lot about drug use and the dolls were yes, basically right. pills. Yeah. How was that during that period of time to do publicity for a movie like that?
2: You know, it, it, the press then was... It, it, you know, they were far more tame. And the press that we dealt with were strictly entertainment press and they kind of didn't want to go there um, they you know they dealt with some of the characters but the film got rave reviews and uh you know there was not, it was an era as you as you remember there you were probably too young but um it was an era that where drugs were just flowing free and fast everywhere yeah. and with all the psychedelic stuff going on and then of course Woodstock was Coming its way in a year or two after that, so um, there was a huge drug culture. But um, people didn't so much talk about it; they would more laugh, and they would thought it was more of a humorous thing. There's a lot of pot around, of course, <laughs> yeah. um, and and things those kind of things. But a lot of the hard drugs, of course, LSD was popular uh, yeah. experimentally, but. Uh, um, but the press generally didn't really harp on that. They really harped on uh, they wanted to interview each of the stars and get their story and how the how they felt uh, with the the characters they developed for the screen. And um, it was a really ni- nice party in fact. Um I was there and uh um standing in the at the door taking uh names as they came in and checking off names and then came Roman Polanski. Um uh with, he was there late and she was waiting for him and uh uh, I had to take photographs down to the all the newspapers from the photographer of the party, and I remember doing that. But it was a great time to work in films, and um, I worked at a handful of them at Fox, and then uh, the job ended. But um, then I came to California after that. So,
1: Well, yeah, and then, you know, your experience has been, Parna, worked on some of the most iconic shows and, and movies. But you had... Um, you were in charge of media relations for the Johnny Carson show. Yes, yeah, I was, the yes, ten, the very, Tonight for, Show.
2: Yes, yeah, I was for about uh, nine years, the final nine years of the show, um, and I'm very, I was a very, very lucky man to to get that assignment. Um, very lucky, um, uh, and uh, there's some great memories as you can guess from yeah. being how, there all those years. And how
1: was, uh, how was he and Ed McMahon to work with?
2: Delightful. Well, uh, you know, Mister Carson. Um, Charlie would do no interviews, but Ed, Ed would always do almost anyone that would be credible as a news, news person, he would do them. But Mr. Carson really did not um, enjoy them, um, did not trust the press, uh, and uh, he really didn't uh, like to do any, any press at all. In fact, he, did, he practically did not did none at all. Um, and uh, Ed, Ed would do them all. Well,
1: and, uh, well his, and, and Ed had such an iconic radio voice and TV he, yeah, voice, yes, yes, broadcaster.
2: yes, he did. yes. yes. But uh, it was a wonderful experience, as you can imagine, um, with a lot of funny moments on the show. Uh, uh, the ones that highlight in my mind certainly was Robert Goulet coming from uh, London, um, and he was was exhausted and just did three days in Paris at a venue. And he got delayed in London. He barely made the show uh, when we taped at 5.30 every day, weekdays and he he just arrived almost on the dot of 5:30 where we were really worried about him arriving and um uh, the cell phones in those days this was uh you know the 80s they weren't that prevalent uh, they were just starting to come out those huge things yeah and uh more like satellite phones out. yeah yeah exactly <laughs> and uh but he he came and the poor guy was halfway through singing Camelot and he forgot his lyrics he couldn't remember the lyrics he was so exhausted and so we had to stop, and then we did what they call a pickup at the end of the show, and uh, he came out and he performed. Uh, but he was just exhausted, and um, and you know it was one of those unfortunate things that happened. But there were so many moments there that um, that come to mind. Of course, the last show was extremely emotional, and um, yeah, uh, the backstage portion of it that people didn't see was even more emotional. Um, after uh, the curtain dropped, um, then he had a huge party at his home out of Malibu for the staff. So it was uh, so many memories. We always tried to get Cary Grant, but he would never do a, never do uh, the show. He was a guest we always wanted to get. And, what, uh, what do you think? Well, you know, it was, he always had the stock line. He says, "I don't, I don't do chat shows." <laughs>
1: Oh. <laughs> like Johnny Carson was a chat show, you know. He yeah, made he, so he, many I careers.
2: Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> it was uh, it was always the stock line. We tried to get him several times, and uh, uh, but I think some of the best shows I think in terms of comedy with Jonathan Winters, of course, and Robin Williams as a duo coming on toward the late eighties. To me, was just absolutely classic comedy television.
1: Um, Do you think think, uh, big entertainers were afraid what Johnny was going to make them do on the show?
2: Sometimes, yes. I think there was... I mean, I saw things... I used to go into the green room, and the green room, for your listeners who don't know what it is, would be like the lounge backstage where a lot of the guests would sit before they were called to come on. And, I mean, I sat in the green room every, every night. I would come back and forth out onto the floor... And there would be people, well, like, um, uh, let's see, Bill Maher, as an example, was sitting perhaps uh, maybe 10 feet away from me on a stool watching the monitor, and uh, he was biting his nails. He was terribly nervous. It was his first time on. And he went out. He thought he was going to bomb. He told his agent sitting next to him. But actually, it was quite good. And um, they always wait for that signal from Mr. Carson to come on up and join me but they don't usually get that the first time when they come on, usually the second or third. So he wasn't expecting that, but he w- he was really quite good. And uh, But he was very, very nervous. And um, Carrie Fisher sat next to me once uh, in the green room, and she was terrified of going on uh, with him. Um, afraid she was going to make a fool of herself and flub up uh, the interview. And uh, well, her, her agent said, you know, just be yourself, just be Carrie.
1: I was just gonna say that you probably tell your clients a lot when you do interviews just be yourself and just make it conversational. Exactly, yes, exactly right, yes. Because if you you get too caught up, up, yeah, if you get too caught up in, oh, I need to say this and I need to be this way, you will be nervous while you're out there. Exactly, exactly, and
2: as you know, as a a marketing publicist, uh, Yourself, that you have to, you know, give your clients some idea of what they're going to be asked, and maybe put them through a little mock interview of sorts mm-hmm. uh, before they go on with anyone. And but I, I would always do that um, uh, as as you know. Once I left the Tonight Show with my with my clients, so I I um, yeah. But it was a great experience, and uh, it was certainly one. That um, I certainly never expected to get, uh, it was just, as they say, in the right place at the right time, and um, uh,
1: well, well, you had been doing some work with NBC already
2: Yes, that's right. I was, they was I, I was hired as the actual NBC news press information guy on the West Coast, so I, I was the West Coast uh, news news information fellow for like meet the press. NBC Nightly News, <clears throat> all those uh, Today Show. We had a unit that shot, um, and we went out and interviewed a lot of celebrities. Orson Welles among them, among many others. And uh, that was my first job. And then, when the guy from The Tonight Show, uh, who had the, my job before before me, retired, sudden, very suddenly, um, I was asked to uh, to take that job. And uh, I was interviewed, uh, Mr. Carson, and few others and uh, I got the job so and and
1: there was history we're talking with Charles Barrett he is a publicist and marketing communications guy for his own company the Barrett company celebrating close to 30 years how great is that if you want more information you can go to thebarrettcompany.com when we come back we'll talk more about his illustrious career and what's next you're listening to the Jeff Hawker show on iHub Radio I'm gonna go
0: Gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer. The Jeff Hawker Show, casting a brilliant rainbow of diversity on iHub Radio. Now, here's Jeff.
1: We've been talking with Charles Barrett of The Barrett Company, a public relations and marketing communications agency. Um, we were just talking about some of the stories from Johnny Carson, but you've also yeah. designed and generated publicity for a number of feature films. Correct, right. And one of my favorites, Clint Eastwood's Million Dollar Baby. What oh, what an Marvelous. iconic film that is.
2: Yes, yes. Great movie. Great performances. And that, uh, he was a delight to work with. D- um, didn't
1: that win Best Movie as well as Best yes, Actress? Yes, yes. yes.
2: It, was, it, it got many awards, Golden Globes, everything. It was... Uh, a marvelous association. Um, we we worked on actually the release of it uh, with the studio publicity people um, and uh, the opening of New York and so forth. Um, yeah, it, it was a, a beautiful film and uh, so heartfelt. And uh, he uh, it was such a delight to work with, um, real professional. And uh, the, the press, of course, the, the loved him. Uh, he did The Today Show and uh, a few others. And um, a real a real fine gentleman, and uh, and he's still you know, trucking.
1: T- he's still doing. Yes, good.
2: yes, he is. Yeah. Yeah, and good a great actor, and I've always liked his work. And um, yep. such a, a range of characters he's played from the Dirty Harry people to uh, you know westerns, and then this one as a as a boxing coach. And it was just uh, quite 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 an experience. Yeah, yeah.
1: Really what, something. What is one of your your favorite films that you've worked on
2: that i've worked with um, yeah. well that's tough to say i would say maybe homicide that was um uh, i'm sorry uh no yeah well that homicide was one but there was um there was one uh that was pre- yeah i, I would pre- say it's a tough question but um <laughs> <laughs> it's there's so many of them uh uh, there was uh, one that uh, Homicide was a little-known little movie that John Mantegna made. Uh, before oh, he was yeah, a star. he's a great actor. Yeah, uh, it was released in 1990. Um, that was one of my favorites. Um, it had an, uh, a very unknown actress named Natalia, Natalia Nagalouche, who went on to uh, become, um, on Star Trek, uh, second edition or third edition. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it was a, f- a funky little uh, murder mystery and he played a detective and it was one of the very first movies I-, I ever worked on um when i left the tonight show uh and then um of course one right now um is an lgbt movie a gay themed film called the billionaire yeah um and i'm trying to help uh, that filmmaker um get a distribution deal um through various uh, you know contacts that I have in the in the business. That was uh, certainly a film that uh, he worked so hard on. And um, I, I think it's a film that the audiences, when, once it gets released, are really going to enjoy. It's a very tender story, and it's a very uh, powerful story. And I think it's, you don't often, as he mentioned, I believe he was on the air with you, yes,
1: right? Yeah, yeah uh, a, few weeks a few weeks ago. Back.
2: Yeah, right. And he mentioned you don't see too many um, uh, uh Men of uh, of color uh, involved with a, a Caucasian uh, man in a, in a relationship. Yeah, and I think he made a good point. Um, uh, there, there are some films now coming along on Netflix, which is good. Um, There's being some uh, the, the, the very famous uh, show that's on CBS, and I, I, the name escapes me, but it's on at seven o'clock locally here. Um, and it has a gay character that's very very good. Um, so I think things are improving uh in that area jeff um,
1: yeah it 's not easy getting a distribution deal has covid n- no, exacerbated not, no. it yeah yeah
2: no i think it's uh it's it's uh no i wouldn 't say that no not not now um it may have uh, earlier but uh I think things are are opening up uh you can see the the change um when i think back when I started out in films um There were characters, uh, but you didn't, you didn't, you you know, you knew they may be gay, probably, but um, it was never blatant. They would never, no one would ever talk about it. Um, uh, There was one film that Rod Steiger did, um, No Way to Treat a Lady. Uh, You may remember that movie if you do. Uh, Yeah, but I'll check it out. It was a great film, and uh, he he, uh, was this guy who lurked uh, and behind the Broadway uh, uh, stages, and he was a killer, and uh, this was suggested he was he was gay, um, and uh, it was uh, he Steiger played the lead role, and I had worked with him um, much much early on a movie called The Illustrated Man, during that Fox period in the nineteen sixties. And uh, I knew him slightly, a uh, little bit, but not not really. Um, he nearly ran me over once in Los Angeles, uh, <laughs> crossing the street. <laughs> well, but, uh,
1: and, and this is what I say. I've worked with a lot of celebrities as well. And I find that the ones who have made it already and who are really class A celebrities are the ones that are the easiest to work with. Exactly. I mean, of course, That's sometimes, right. you know, some people are difficult, but... It's usually the, the climbers are the ones that are the hardest to work with. <laughs> yes.
2: Yes. Most definitely. Well, we're going to have to have you
1: back, and we'll have you in the studio as soon as we that can... That will be fun, yeah. Yeah. Open to, yeah, things yeah. up. Yeah. Um, Because I want to talk about a band that you represented, the Steve Miller Band, which is one of my favorite bands of all time.
2: That was another part of my life. Yeah. Yeah, I remember the rock and roll days. They were good days.
1: So if you want more information about uh, Charles Barrett, you can go to the Barrett Company. That's co.com. Thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you, Jeff. Really Really appreciate it. it.
2: Thank you. You're
1: listening to The Jeff Hawker Show on iHub Radio. Next up is Alan Carvalho. Uh, he's going to tell us all about Cathedral City.
0: Live from Palm Springs, the desert cities A to Z on LGBTQ. This is the Jeff Hawker Show on iHub Radio. Welcome back.
1: The cast of Glee is coming together again for the 32nd annual GLAAD Media Awards. That's coming up on April 8th. And uh, late cast member Naya Rivera will be honored with a special tribute to both her and her character, Santana Lopez, which was highlighted in the 10th anniversary of Santana's coming out on the show and, in effect, how it really affected LGBTQ teens uh, the Glee cast will be introduced by Demi Lovato, one of my favorites. And the ceremony will all be streamed on Glad's YouTube channel and Hulu. Again, 32nd Annual Glad Media Awards on April 8th. And, you know, those are always star-studded. Also, the Coachella Valley Economic Partnership is getting ready for the Greater Palm Springs Fast Pitch Competition. No, it's not... Go- it's not got anything to do with baseball, but if you love watching Shark Tank, you'll get the idea. Laura James is on today's John McMullen show to talk about how local entrepreneurs can get in front of the desert sharks between 4 and 6 p.m. on iHub
0: Network. Oh. Turn uh, your mic on, Jeff. If John. I turned the switch on, that would work better. <laughs> um, we're also going to talk, Jeff, uh, with Desert Hot Springs City Councilman Russell Betts about. Uh, some mysterious charges that are appearing and then disappearing from people's water bills up in the land of really good water up in DHS. So oh, we'll do that today not good. at 5 o'clock. And You're did you know that I'm actually a past winner of Glad Media Award in 1998? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And congratulations. Thanks. Great organization.
1: Coming up to the microphone now is Alan Carvalho. He is a Cathedral City resident and community activist, former chair of the Public Arts Commission, co-founder of the Coachella Valley Historical Preservationist Committee, and founder of Cathedral City Archivist Group. He is also the creator of promotional videos. His company is Cambridge Video. Welcome, Alan Carvalho. Hey Jeff, how are you? I'm doing great, and you're also. I should just say, the man about town in Cathedral City. You know about everything.
3: Oh, thank you. Well, it wasn't. Te- I wasn't intending any of this to happen when my husband and I uh, full time moved out to Cathedral City from Boston. You know, ten years ago. We were just coming here to retire, great place to settle, you know, where the winters are wonderful and, and of course the summers are deadly. But, uh, it was okay with us because that's what we decided on. We never dreamed that my husband would actually, a year after moving here, a couple of years after moving here full time, that he'd be running for city council and winning and, and, and was, and served for four years. Uh, and then I
1: decided. And we uh, need him back. After he with that we need him back on the council
3: yeah we we really do need him back uh and when he got become very involved i thought well gee i have to do something for the city as well because when we moved here i i saw the potential and i realized uh being a videographer i could certainly uh, provide my services uh, donating donating my services to the city because a lot of activities were happening but nobody knew about them and you know you're part of uh your promotional group you know you're you're uh production company, where if people don't know what's going on, the attendance is not going to be where it should be. So I took it upon myself to start taking photographs and videos. I didn't ask anybody if I should. I just started posting them everywhere. And the next thing I knew, the mayor of the of, the, of Cathedral City decided that during... The state of the city, which is normally a mayoral uh, obligation, he did not want that obligation to be just his. He wanted the entire council to to, uh, be represented. So he asked me to create a video where I would interview each of the city council members to discuss economic development, growth, all sorts of things happening in the city. And I was thrilled that he obviously liked my videos enough to ask me to do it. So that was kind of how it started, and, and then I
1: and you're referring to yeah. Greg Pettis.
3: Actually, at the time, it was Stan Henry. Okay. Uh, Greg became mayor uh, towards the end, but uh, it was great. it was uh, Stan Henry who was the mayor at the time back in 2014 when when my husband Shelly Kaplan was was elected uh, in, in office, and it was a really amazing time those four years. We had four three uh, LGBTQ progressive members of of of, of the council. And uh, incredible growth happened in our city. We brought cannabis into the city. We had 40 new restaurants come into the city. We started doing events with Chris Parman. And, of course, your your production company uh, helped with that. I mean, it was truly and remains a vital time of our city. And it, I was very thrilled to be part of that history.
1: Yeah, so let's talk about that for a minute. So the city council back in 2013 voted against cannabis, at what point did that come back up and was voted for cannabis? Because now Cathedral City is one of the hotspots for cultivation as well as uh, having collectives.
3: Well, um, what happened was that um, there were a couple of uh, members of the council that were, were very very conservative thinking, and we're concerned that um, marijuana would, would be a, a gateway drug to worse. Of course, it's Reaper Madness. And uh, we, we, Shelley and myself, decided this is an economic opportunity that we cannot miss. Palm Springs was already cultivating and, 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 and utilizing uh, cannabis as a, as a means of growth why shouldn't we do it as well? So I, we, we started a petition. We went to the city clerk and said, we want to start a petition to put it on the ballot. Well, we approached council and said, we are doing this to make you aware of the fact that we don't really want it to be up to the voters. We think it's more effective as, if council takes the initiative to bring cannabis in, and they eventually changed their mind. And then when in twenty fourteen when my when my husband was brought in with Greg Pettis and John Aguilar, the three of them brought it forward and uh, the rest is history. It was it was it it started out as a threat, which the intent was for us to not actually put it on the ballot.
1: Right. Well and I think cannabis and because there's so many stores helped Cathedral City through the COVID shutdowns.
3: What, well, there was the 2014-2013 uh, the um, Renaissance, I call it the Renaissance Council, um, they brought in $21 million in rainy day fund yeah. because of the cannabis that was brought in. I mean, not only did they bring in cannabis, but the council was smart enough to bring to hire the lawyers that, that were helpful in Denver because they had such a successful cannabis industry there it was wise for the council to hire those experts to come into our city and help the city do it right we the city was really anxious to become the one city in the valley where we were user friendly we were we were engaging the growers to to see how we can best and effectively make them want to do business in our city and as a result Fifty-six million dollar building was brought into our city, the Suniva building, right. uh, and that that's pretty revolutionary because they could have gone anywhere else in the in the valley, and that they settled here. So it's pretty exciting.
1: Well, and in fact, you helped diversify the economy in Cathedral City.
3: Yeah, it's really interesting because our intent was to just grow the economy in in a time when there wasn't a great deal of growth outside of tourism. And the majority of our tourism is happening in Palm Springs, but of course we do a lot, you know, the spillover here, which, which is to our benefit. And then, of course, with Chris Parman bringing in the events that we, we had the great benefit of doing, that also brought in tourism. But the, having cannabis and having it done so effectively really we became the focus of other cities in the valley wanting to know how we did it and how they wanted to do it like us. Uh it was we were well written up in the cannabis uh industry portfolios and, and the and the press was very kind to us and it really and obviously as a result of twenty one million dollars in rainy day funds, you mentioned the COVID this past year in balancing the budget, the city council used about four million of, of four million dollars of that money to keep our fire and police uh, employed because we don't public safety can't be compromised. So this was a real benefit here.
1: Yeah. Uh, You also uh, brought the rainbow crossing to Cathedral City as chair of the public arts commission.
3: Well, what happened was that six, seven years ago when I was first, uh, when I first applied to be uh, Jim Cox was the chair at the time. And I told him it's something that I had a passion for. Uh, noticing that it's, you know, throughout the cities throughout the world, there are rainbow crossings as a, as a tribute to the LGBTQ community. And I was surprised that Palm Springs didn't do that because it's obviously a gay resort. So I said, let's uh, let our city be the, the first city to do it. And yeah, but see, remember, you,
1: and you weren't here yet, but Cathedral City is where all the bars and the hotels were. Palm, Palm Springs didn't have anything, and that was where all the nightlife and all the really great resort hotels were.
3: Which is interesting, because if there was ever a time for them to have a Rainbow Crossing, it would have been... We're back you know, then, that, yeah. <laughs> that area, that time, people would fly into Palm Springs, as you, as you just mentioned, to come to Palm Springs, because that's where the airport was. And they would stay in Palm Springs, but they would party in Cathedral City, because all the gay bars were here downtown. Yeah. You're right about that. And um, so that yeah. that's that. I moved it forward, and we had, of course, an amazing progressive LGBTQ community on on council, plus the support of the community. Uh, and and I was just so thrilled and, and excited that I was part of you know that process of moving it forward.
1: Yeah, so, well, and also you were very active in and also in, in advancing the Cathedral City's Art and Entertainment District, which is basically the downtown core.
3: The, when when the city uh, brought the new uh, city hall convention set well the, the city hall building in and it was a beautiful building still is a beautiful building um their intent was to make the downtown an entertainment center and they did have the mary pickford come in which was a which was a perfect marriage they also had um the IMAX theater which was at the time a wonderful idea but then as time progressed People weren't as much into the IMAX, so they decided, well, the city is responsible for that building. What can we do? Well, the genius uh, behind uh, the CB Rep, who was in Rancho Mirage at the time on very limited space, uh, approached the city to say, we would like that building for the theater. And now we have live theater at the CB Rep, which was where the old IMAX was.
1: Which which is genius. You know, Ron Salona, you know, is such a a great maverick when it comes to arts he's so talented and the great thing about what they did there is they had to build that stage from the ground up they had to retrofit it and then because he had been a dancer before they put in a wood floor that was perfect for dancers that had a little bit of give in it
3: phenomenal we are so blessed the cv rep always had a great reputation of bringing live theater Reputable, really strong union theater from Los Angeles and right. other cities into our valley, but they were very limited in their space. They were they were in an old strip mall, but when this happened, it was the most perfect situation for the city and for the CB rep. As you mentioned, they had to rebuild. It was not what they intended to do,
1: yeah. but
3: because the IMAX was originally just designed to project images on a wall, a large wall. There was never a need for a stage, per se. So in order for them to fulfill the needs that they required, and the other problem they had is that the ceiling wasn't structured strong enough to handle lights and a grid. Right. So They had to come up with an entire infrastructure, a skeletal structure that was built inside the building.
1: Amazing. So, uh, We're talking about the CV Rep Playhouse. We're also talking with Alan Carvalho. He is a Cathedral City resident and will talk more about his role in the city of Cathedral City. You're listening to The Jeff Hawker Show on iHub Radio.
0: Lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer. The Jeff Hawker Show, casting a brilliant rainbow of diversity on iHub Radio. Now, here's Jeff. Speaking of uh, first... um,
1: What is the word? (laughs) Police and fire. (laughs) Responders. Responders, that's the word. Uh, The Palm Springs Police Department is doing an LGBTQ Plus Outreach Committee virtual town hall meeting that's coming up uh, Tuesday, March 30th at 5.30. And if you go to the Brothers of the Desert on Facebook and like it, uh, it'll send you a reminder. So check that out. We're talking with Alan Carvalho with the city. Well, you you don't work for the city of Cathedral City, but I always think of you as working for the city because you do so much.
3: Well, thank you. Um, I still am active involved. Uh, my dear friend, Sue Townsley, is now the Chair of the Public Arts, and she and I right. work very closely together. We did when I was Chair, and I try to help her every time. Matter of fact, this morning we had a Zoom meeting with, we have an app in our city called Where Art Lives, and I I, I worked with the company that, that uh, puts this template together, and it's a wonderful, it's a place where people can actually go to see the type of art we have throughout our city. Um, and it and and we had a meeting because uh, they're updating some of the uh, some of of the way it's it's going to be received. So we 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 are always working together. So, so I, th- I
1: feel good. The app is current.
3: It's current. It's called where uh, it's Cathedral City Where Art Lives, and it's free on uh, the, on your iPhone um, as well as on the Android uh, format.
1: How yeah, great is that? We we just we just last weekend we did the Desert X. And it, it's just so gratifying to go to these locations and seeing how, how inspired these artists are to do these installations. And it's the same with public art. You know, these are, these are people who have worked their whole life to have something visible for all people to enjoy.
3: The one thing, as, as I said when we first moved here is, is all of everything we do in the city and what you do with your company, it has to be advertised. People have to know that it's happening. So when you have an app, which of course is the best way young people are now using apps more than they are the internet. Um, so what we created this where you can go to this app and you can even have the GPS coordinates as you're driving. It'll tell you and speak to you about certain Art exhibits and, and installations that the, that we have put in, it lets you know that you're you know several miles or a mile or half a mile away on your right side, and it just literally talks to you. Um, and and we have uh, some of it has uh, videos that go with it to explain the artwork as well. It's both in English and Spanish, so it's happening throughout the valley. I'm seeing more and more cities that are using apps as a way to advertise. Um, the best way to kind of help tourism. It, it was really one of the better things that we did together, which is great.
1: Yeah. W- one of the final topics I wanted to talk with you about was the short-term vacation rentals. Have they done the full counting of all the ballots yet?
3: Yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, two days ago, the supervisors had a meeting, which I sat in on, and, and we were hoping because I was an advocate for short-term vacation rentals, I was the only candidate running last year, this past year, that was in favor. And um, unfortunately, when the supervisors were there to certify, they decided to go ahead and certify. In spite of the fact that 11,000 voters didn't get their ballots in time, uh, the, the vote was last Tuesday and it was last Friday that some of the people, did, they didn't get their mail-in ballots. So it really was an unfortunate situation. I don't think it's over yet, Jeff. I'll tell you why. Tourism depends very much on places for people to stay and there aren't enough hotel spaces in Cathedral City. And of course, Palm Springs uh, does have allow short term vacation rentals and all that's gonna do is just give them more business. So I'm hoping that uh, cannabis was resisted here. Uh, So was fireworks. Uh, They wanted fireworks and we went against it. And eventually the council comes to its senses and realizes that it's in the best interest of the community. So I think they'll change their mind. I think there'll be a change.
1: Well, and here's my take on it is that if you do it right and you hire people to go around and make sure people are following the regulations, it only helps homeowners to take pride in their properties and make sure that they're taken care of, you know, and it brings in people that wouldn't normally come to the city because they're staying at a property that is unique,
3: Especially during COVID, people are concerned about it. For a long time, the hotels weren't even open. But when if they are, you're thinking about all the public spaces that hotels have, the common areas. And all those spaces have to constantly be sprayed and and disinfected. So when you have a home that is required also to be cleaned between guests, the people feel that there's an intimacy about staying in a a short-term vacation rental. And as you mentioned, Palm Springs hired an expert like Cathedral City did Mm -hmm. when we got cannabis in. You hire an expert to give you advice on how to do it right, and they're doing it right. $7 million annually is brought into Palm Springs through short-term vacation rentals. We could do that, too, and I do think, I'm feeling very confident that eventually we'll come around to that.
1: I think so, too. You know, and it's created a a new generation of, like families who want to travel together because they rent a house. They all get to hang out at the pool together. It's much more intimate. You get to know each other better than if you're just staying in different rooms in different parts of the hotel.
3: You're right. It It's really instills a sense of a family reunion. I know a friend of mine that runs one in Palm Springs and I've helped him when he needed it. Uh, people will fly from all over. We had a family come in from Chicago, another family from L.A., uh, from Boston, from Atlanta. They all decided to stay in this wonderful home. And they, it was a, it's in our tradition. Annually, they have this family reunion. And it because of the fact that they've got an entire backyard and a pool and lots of space for the kids, it it's more of a homey experience for people. It makes them feel that they're already living here. And right. many at times... They will eventually buy because they like our, our area. We, they, they love it as much as we do.
1: That's what happened to me. That's why I'm here.
3: <laughs> Bingo. Perfect so, example.
1: W- w- was there an estimate on the revenue that it brings in for the city of Cathedral City?
3: The last time, last year, when it was legal, and it still is legal, it's a phase out that won't happen for another year and a half. Last year, they brought in $700,000. There's a lot more revenue that will be had this year. Uh, because there's a lot more uh, uh, vacation rent, short-term vacation rentals in the city. So, you know, during COVID, when there's been uh, a real desperation to raise revenue for taxes, it seems kind of strange to me that of all the times for our city council to decide against vacation rentals, why not delay it? Put it off until COVID's over. Right. let it Allow it to happen for the next couple of years until we're back to normal where we can then afford to say no to a revenue stream that is a consistent revenue stream. Um, it, it, it It's going to happen. I'm telling you, it's going to eventually come around with the young people coming in. They're Uber types. They don't want to own property necessarily. They just want to have a place that they feel is their own. Um, they're, that's their mentality. Um, that's why Ubers are so popular. Instead of renting a car, you just... Use the car when you need it. Yeah, You know, you need a house. You, you, you rent it when you need it.
1: Well, and then you don't even have to buy gas. No.
3: No, you just, <laughs> it's there whenever you need it. You don't have to worry about getting stolen. You don't have to worry about insuring it. You don't, all that extra None of uh, that. expense is avoided. So it, this is the mentality. Uh, of Alan, and I think it's,
1: yes, we are going to get cut off. It is great to have you on the show today. We will have you back soon. We'll talk about things that are going on in the future for you.
3: Thank you,
1: Jeff. My pleasure. You're listening to The Jeff Hawker Show on iHub Radio. For more information on all the programs, go to iHubRadio.com.